we, we shared at the beginning of our last one and the end, this statement, never forget that thoughts work out actions, repeated actions form habits, and habits form character. We talked about the frontal lobe. We talked about the frontal lobe being seen as spirituality, morality, and the will. It's interesting that when you look at animals and the portion of their brain, the proportion of their brain, that is the frontal lobe. Now we look at cats, and 3.5% of the frontal lobe of a cat, I, sh I should say 3.5% of the brain of a cat is the frontal lobe. What do you think has a larger brain, a cat or a, not a larger brain, a larger proportion of the brain that's a frontal lobe, a cat or a dog? You guys all got it right. Twice as large, and that's why, have you ever noticed cats, they can make wonderful pets, but they're kind of like a wild animal in the house, right? Like they're just, like you're like, oh, come here, and they just, you know, look and just do whatever they want to do. Dog, you say, come here, and you know, it's just, it's social, it just, now some cats are that way, I'm not saying all cats are not, but, but most of the time they're kind of like a wild animal that just does its thing in your house, right? <laughs> and, but what do you, obviously, more than a dog, you have a chimpanzee, which 17% of the frontal lobe of the chimpanzee, or actually I keep saying it wrong, 17% of the brain is the frontal lobe in the chimpanzee, but when you look at the human brain, nearly a third of the human brain is the frontal lobe. This is what distinguishes us from other animals, that we have a connection. Humans can have a love, or animals, I should say, can have a love for their master. But they're not thinking beyond the master to the supernatural, right? And this frontal lobe is the seat of spirituality, morality, and the will. Now, I'm going to share with you some very amazing things that tie into finding victory. God, we're talking about identity. And having the identity that God intended us to have. Because he intends for you to have an identity. And even as he wants you to have a special identity, he's not looking to strip your individuality from you. He wants you to have the individuality that you were crea created to have, which is the highest possible attainment that you could ever have. What God asks you to do, he's not, just like when you were sharing your testimony, he isn't actually trying to strip us away from something. But he's trying to use what he's called us to to make us into something, right? He's not trying to strip something. Now, yes, he wants to strip away pain and suffering and sin and, and these kind of things. But he's trying to give us something better in return. Now, Olds and Milner did a study back in 1953 in Mo Montreal. And what they did, it was actually kind of a mistake. They were taking mice and they were trying to look at the fear center of the brain. So they implanted some electrodes in the mouse, in the brains of a mouse. And as they did so, uh, typically what would happen is if you give a little electric shock to that portion of the fear center of the brain, the mouse would do anything it could to get away from that area and would do anything it could to stay away from that area because it associated wherever you shocked it with this horrendous fear response. So it would stay away from it. But here, this mouse that Olds and Milner had planted an electrode, they were trying to implant it in a fear center. But when they shocked it, it would do anything it could to stay in that area. So now the question was, was this some kind of masochistic rat? <laughs> well, no. They had accidentally placed it, what they believed, into to the pleasure center of the brain. It ended up being the center of desire rather than pleasure. But what they discovered was that they could actually, they set up a little contraption where the mouse could push the lever itself and receive this electric shock. And it was so exciting to have this experience that what would it do? It'd push it. And once it realizes what it did, it would push it again and again and again. And it would just push it over and over and over until it just passed out. 
So it, it just to get that pleasure, it would do it over and over and over to the point where it would just collapse from exhaustion. They went even further in the study. They set up an electrified grid, and this grid this is just my little illustration of what it would be like. But basically, um, they would on one side, on both sides, you would have levers, and each lever would only work one time. It works once. And then you have to run across a painful electrified grid. Then you could push the other side. And that would only work once until you went to the other side. And you had to go back and forth. Does that make sense? And so they would begin to run back and forth. And they would push the lever. And it was so exciting to receive that pleasure. That, just to let you young ladies know, that they, they planted electrodes in these mice. And it would they could push these levers. And it would give them a jolt of electricity to the part of the brain that would have to do with, like, pleasure or desire. And so it's so exciting to the mice, they would do anything to push the lever. But here they would push it, but they could only push it once, and they'd have to go over this electrified grid and go through suffering and pain to get to the other one and push that, and it would only work once, and then they'd have to run back and push it again and push it again and push it again. And it was so exciting that they would run back and forth until their feet were literally burned and they could not go any longer. Does that kind of sound like addiction? It sure does. And one of the things they did as, as they were doing this, they actually figured out, like for instance, they would, if they wanted the mouse in its cage, they have this electrode in the brain, if they wanted it to move to the right, every time it moved just a little bit to the right, they would give it a little shock. And then it realized, oh, they want me to go this way. And then it would do it again, and they'd give it another. And then it would do it again. And they could get it so that they could control it like a, like a video game joystick. They could control it like a joystick. Now, I don't know about you, but to me that sounds a little bit like what the devil can do to us. He can get us where we have something on this planet that we love so much, some sin, and it would be different probably for each one of us. But where he can literally can control us to get us to go anywhere we'll go to get our little jolt of pleasure in our brains. Does that make sense? The devil can do this, and then notice what it is. He is actually controlling our identity. You understand? But God is saying, listen, I don't want you to be captive to the enemy. I want you to live to the fullest extent of the freedom that I intended you to have, which is having the greatest joy that you could possibly have and the most fulfillment on planet Earth. And so we're talking about a distinction between the frontal lobe, this blue portion of the brain here in the front left, or um, here's a mirror image of it. At the center of the brain, you have something called the limbic system. Now, the limbic system is kind of the center for your drives and your desires. It could be for your drive for food, your desire for food. There's nothing wrong with having a desire for food. You're, you're, God intended you to desire food, right? Even Adam and Eve. There must have been some kind of hunger in the garden that would cause them to eat. Now, I don't think it was a painful or a bad kind of hunger, but it was a, oh, time to eat. I can sense that I need to eat. And, and there was a drive for things like what married couples are to do, right? Since we have children here, you get the idea. And, and God actually made that desire. There's nothing wrong with it in and of itself, but it becomes wrong when it's put in the wrong place, right? Outside of the marriage covenant, just like food. There's nothing wrong with a desire for food, but it's what we do with that desire for food. What do we eat when we have that desire? That can affect us negatively or positively. And so we want to learn not to live based upon the limbic system. Yes, we have to live to a degree by our drives. We have to eat and 
we, you know, we get married and we have love and we have these things, but we want it to be controlled by the frontal lobe. Does that make sense? So the higher region of the brain controls the lower. And it's interesting because it is literally lower within the brain. So the higher powers of the, our, our mental faculties would control the lower. And Robert Sapolsky, a neurobiologist at, at Stanford University, has argued that the main job of the modern prefrontal cortex is to bias the brain and therefore you for doing the what? Harder thing. The harder thing. When it's easier to stay on the couch, your front prefrontal cortex makes you want to get up and exercise. And when it's easier to put off that project till tomorrow, it's your prefrontal cortex that helps you open the file and make progress anyway. Now think about this. So the frontal lobe, the prefrontal cortex specifically, he, his argument is that it, it encourages you to do the harder thing. That's kind of interesting. And when we think about it, in life, do you see that many times the harder thing is actually the more fulfilling thing to do? Like it's easier to just drop out of school, right? But it's more fulfilling when you actually finish what you start. It's easier to, you're working on something in the yard and you're like, man, I could just go in and go on the internet or whatever. You, you understand what I'm saying? But it's fulfilling when you actually finish the job that you were working on, whatever it is. And especially if it's a good thing, that is. And I believe, and I submit to you that Jesus, he lived by his frontal lobe instead of living by his drives and his emotions. Notice what it says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, speaking of Jesus. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the what? Same the same mind. So notice Jesus went forward in suffering in the flesh, and we're to arm ourselves likewise with the same mind. We're, we're to have the same mind of Jesus. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. So Jesus did the harder thing, you could say. Does that make sense? Because to suffer, did Jesus suffer to do the right thing? Yes. And when you suffer to do the right thing, you're living by your frontal lobe instead of what your emotions are crying out, saying, why don't you just give up? It'd be easier. Why save all these wicked people? I mean, come on, you don't have to go through this. You don't have to go through pain and suffering. Just give it all up. You can live in peace for eternity. I mean, this is what the enemy would say, right? But Jesus said, no, I'm going to follow the will of God, and I want these people to be saved. And in order to save them, I have to suffer. And you know when we witness to other people, whether it's through door-to-door, -door, through coal porting, we've done Bible work and coal porting, and, and any of these things, not just that, but any witnessing generally takes a little suffering on your part because people maybe argue, they think different of you. Maybe they reject you. But the reality is, is when you go forward, when you see someone's life changed, there's nothing like it, right? There's nothing like that. And so God is calling us to suffer to victory. We had a woman came to our meeting. She was a Jehovah's Witness. This is in New Mexico. And she, uh, she told us she, she was smoking. We knew she was smoking. The house smelled like smoke, I'm sure, right? When we went over, I'm guessing. And uh, she... She said, you know, God gave me the victory in the past. I prayed about it, and God just took the temptation away. And now she was smoking in, and she said, I'm not going to quit until God just makes it easy, basically. Now, should we, should we live that way? 
sometimes as Adventists we might feel like, oh, that's works, that's salvation by works. If I actually make an effort in something, even though my heart's crying out for the sin, if I fight against it, well, that would be a form of works. No, no, no. The Bible says, what? It says, arm yourselves with the same mind as Christ that you're going to suffer in order to gain victory. Does that make sense? And it says that he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, it's interesting to overcome temptation, it does take some suffering. Talk about overcoming in the area of things like smoking marijuana. Uh, in smokers, just five minutes of intense exercise can be beneficial. Exercise, actually this is not the one on marijuana, this is just smoking. Exercise fights the urge, excuse me, to smoke because in addition to smoothly increasing dopamine, it also lowers anxiety, tension, and stress levels. The fact that exercise sharpens thinking comes into play here because one of the withdrawal symptoms of nicotine is impaired focus. So in order to overcome, one of the things that we can do as a smoker is getting some exercise. It helps sharpen our mind, and it helps lessen our stress and anxiety levels. We go on and we look at, um, this is a group who are on, on another form of drug, on morphine. Researchers found that exercise dramatically withdrew, uh, reduced withdrawal symptoms in the exercise and morphine group when they caught off the drugs. So exercise can help drug addicts overcome. We see the same thing with marijuana. In 2011, researchers from Vanderbilt University did a study published in PLOS One that involved making a dozen marijuana users run on treadmill, treadmills for 30 minutes 10 times over a two-week period. 30 minutes 10, 10 times over a two-week period. These were very heavy users of marijuana and saw a dramatic drop in their cravings and their use of marijuana, a decrease of more than 50% just after a few exercise sessions. Exercise was the only intervention. What's interesting is that these people were deemed cannabis dependent and they didn't even want treatment to help them stop smoking pot. The exercise alone made them cut their marijuana use by more than half. Do you get the idea? These people didn't even want to quit marijuana. So these are people who are like, yeah, I smoke weed, and I enjoy it, and I don't want to quit. They don't even want to quit. So this, like we talked about, you may have a sin that you don't even want to quit. But what happened was when they put them on an exercise regimen, these people dropped the levels of marijuana use by 50%. Do you see? Now think about it. Now imagine if you wanted to overcome how much it could help you. Mm -hmm. If it helped 50% in somebody who didn't even want to quit. You see? So exercise is something that can help us potentially be kinder in our homes have less anxiety, be more likely to overcome temptation. My wife's going to come up and she's going to tell us about a nurse by the name of Patricia that tried to overcome her depression. All right, Nurse Patricia, she um, struggled with depression and she hoped that a frontal lobotomy would help her um, overcome her feelings of guilt. Now, do you think that's a good idea, especially what we just learned about Phineas Gage, right? That um, his character changed before and after the accidental lobotomy. Well, this is a purposeful one, and um, to destroy the frontal lobe enough that it doesn't work. Well, why do you think she's having these feelings of guilt and depression? Um, the frontal lobe is a blessing to us, right? Because it helps us think through things. and. If she was feeling guilt, you know, a lot of times we think of guilt as such a bad thing, but it could help us in understanding 
there's a, a cause to, you know, cause to effect, right? Um, there's something maybe we did or something happening. And so then we need to assess ourselves and say, why am I feeling like this? What's going on? Mind you, when you're severely depressed or even mildly depressed, it can become um, a point where that's all you think about. You're not able to control your thoughts and you have these reoccurring guilty thoughts that aren't rational, okay? So that's different. But in a normal situation, guilt is to be a blessing to us because it helps us make our wrongs right. And it helps us to turn to Jesus, the one that can change these things, right? If we didn't have that, if we just lived life in a flippant way, would we really have a need to turn to our Savior? No, right? Um, you have pain when you touch a hot stove and praise the Lord for that. Because if you didn't, then you'd burn yourself all the time. So you understand where I'm going with that. So anyway, um, a frontal lobotomy is not a good way to do it. Well, what happened to her? Before, she was an extremely efficient operating room nurse and she enjoyed reading books. And those are things that take place, being efficient and reading and all that all in the frontal lobe. Well, what happened to her afterwards? She lost much of her ambition. She uh, lost loss of sympathy and interest in her work. And she lost interest in books. And you'd find her saying things like, I don't care if I make a mistake, it'll all turn out all right in the end. Now, is that the way you want an OR nurse talking? No, right? It was a good thing she was efficient, especially in the OR. You want them to be efficient. And so um, what happened? Again, here we see that her frontal lobe was damaged and so she lost the interest in books this is reading you know when you're reading you have to contemplate things you have to think about do critical thinking uh, and that was affected by it so if you if you struggle like i grew up watching a lot of television and so reading was a very difficult thing for me because my brain wasn't used to um, thinking critically about things and so it took time for me to even enjoy reading because it was such a hard activity because I wasn't used to operating in the frontal lobe. And um, so again, this shows us that the frontal lobe is a seat of spirituality, morality, and the will. These are, this is where um, it's the citadel of the mind, right? So it's important that we keep these frontal lobes um, operative. Now, in the first session, we told you we do like a modified fast. And this is just, if anyone's interested in writing these things down to try it later, this is what we do. We add, for the second day, we add veggies, okay? So the first day you did fruit, and then the second day you're to add veggies to that fruit, but you do it at separate meals. So like, let's say breakfast, you do all fruit, and then for uh, lunch, you do all veggies. And vegetables are a really good source of replenishing the blood, okay? Uh, fruit actually uh, for brain workers you know people who are very um, work hard and stuff it's very good to eat a lot of fruit because fruit have um, antioxidants uh, anti-inflammatory properties and neurotransmitters see we haven't done a lot of studies on fruits and vegetables it just wasn't the money wasn't there right the money wasn't there, and so why do all the study on these foods? But now more and more studies are coming out to make us realize 
wow, this stuff is powerful. And it, no wonder God gave fruit as the first fruit, you know, food um, in, in the garden. Because fruit, like I said, if you have issues with depression and all that, it'll really help. But Chad will go into that this afternoon in the nutrition. Yeah. Because two more this afternoon, so um, it's just it's just important to have this variety of food on our plates that God has made, so that we're making sure we're getting different nutrients. Um, so anyway, uh, so what you add for the second day is your veggies, but don't mix them with your fruits. So I have a question for you: How long does the average initial craving last? What do you guys think? When you're craving, and you're just like. I want it, I want it now. How long do you think that lasts? Ten minutes? Ten minutes, Caleb says. <laughs> wow. Um, it's anywhere from 30 seconds to three minutes. Okay? So sometimes cravings can come and go real fast, and sometimes they linger. But um, in that amount of time, God has given us the ability with this brain to redirect the mind. We don't have to be slaves to our uh, passions and our, you know, like, like Chad was saying in that verse where Jesus suffered to victory, right? He suffered in the flesh to victory. And so we can do the same that as we exercise the frontal lobe and the abilities to, to use our willpower, that it strengthens with use and um, we can overcome the. And what were some of the things that we said you can do when the craving comes? Can anybody tell me? Breathe accurately from the diaphragm, right? Get that oxygen going through the body. What else? Walk. Okay. Get that blood. Get that blood pumping. Drink our water. And what was another one? Pray and claim God's promises. So when these cravings come, these are the things we can do. Like right away, pick up that water. Start drinking. Get up, remove yourself from the situation, go get that blood pumping, breathe that good air, outside air, and as you're walking, talk to God about your issues and claim His promises. You see, this becomes a habit. It's not just getting rid of old habits, but it's replenishing um, your life with good, wholesome habits that direct you to God. Because think about it, now your brain is at a better place where as you're talking to God, um, your mind is clearer and you're more connected to him. But there are traps, right? There are traps. And what can we do? Here is something, I don't know, um, maybe I could just turn this up. It's a, it's a video that I'm going to show you, but here's a, here's a trap. Caffeine, okay? A lot of people uh, say other drugs are, are a gateway into other ones, but I think caffeine is a gateway drug into other things, right? Um, it really affects us in so many ways and it, we don't realize it. But here's, here's a video and this is specifically talking about the connection with the brain and what it does. As you likely know, we've reported often here on World News about the powerful effects of coffee and the growing body of research telling us in the right amounts it can help yeah. us focus better and even fend off some disease later in life. But we asked tonight, what is it really doing to our brains? ABC's Lisa Stark with her own MRIs before and after. It's the most popular drug in the world. I need that little um, face. It's every 
everywhere, from 320 milligrams in a Starbucks Cafe Grande, about the max you should have in a day, to energy drinks, to sodas, now even inhalable, 100 milligrams in an instant. But could that daily dose of caffeine be changing your brain? We turned to researchers at Wake Forest in North Carolina, where I underwent two MRI brain scans. This first scan with no caffeine in my system. Then I downed just one drink. Now my second MRI. This was my brain before caffeine. This was after. The difference was remarkable. It's like a 40% drop in the blood flow of your brain. That's a lot. So before caffeine, with caffeine, the blood flow to my brain dropped about 40%. 40%. Really? Yes. Why the drop? Caffeine blocks a chemical called adenosine, which controls blood flow to the brain. Add caffeine, blood vessels constrict, less blood circulates in the brain, and your blood pressure and heart rate go up. So if you skip your regular coffee, that surging blood can trigger a caffeine headache. It's like trying to get a fire hose to pump blood up through your skull. If you're a caffeine lover, your brain has actually changed. It now functions normally on caffeine. How much caffeine do I have to drink to change the physiology of my brain? Not very much. Not very much? No. Like even a One cup of day? One cup a day will change your brain. <laughs> One cup a day will change your brain. All right, wasn't that interesting? That... um what it was doing to the brain and, and how it functions and how it decreases the um, the blood flow to the brain and what do we need to the brain we need the blood flow so that we can think clearly so it makes sense and it's interesting um, when you're tempted your heart rate you don't realize it but your heart rate increases your um, breathing becomes shallow and more rapid and your blood pressure increases. And do you know that, and so in that condition, you're not getting as much blood flow, proper blood flow to your brain. And so it makes sense why in that tempting moment, you're more likely to do the wrong thing, right? And that's where we need to just calm down, you know, drink our water, go for a walk, spend time talking to God, making that our connection and, and um, you know, working it off. But you realize that that's what happens when you drink caffeine is those same things. Heart rate goes up, um, blood pressure goes up, shallow breathing. You see what I'm saying? That it's actually putting you in that state of mind that you are when you're tempted. And so you're more likely to trip up if you're in that state of mind all the time of being caffeinated. So that's a trap. That's a trap that the enemy uses and, and it's a big one. It's become very popular um, to drink a lot of caffeine. Also, idleness. Idleness is a trap of the enemy. And um, how you say. If you think of a biblical story and you think of King David, right? And in the springtime, the kings were to go out and fight with their men. That was just what they did. You're out there with the men and, and you know, being a man yourself and uh, representing your kingdom. Well, this particular spring, King David decided to hang out in the castle. And he went on some sites that he shouldn't have gone on, right? 
he's alone at home and, and he went on some sites that he shouldn't and one thing led to another and next thing you know a man's killed and a baby dies and his house starts to just crumble in terms of um, his children right and what happens to them and all because he was idle because he wasn't out doing the work that God had called him to do and so much so if you think of your struggles you think of the times where you are more susceptible to fall is those times of idleness that that the devil takes advantage of right now this is not to say um, because there's the, the, the other ditch, right? And the other ditch is work so hard that you don't have time to think either, right? Where you make yourself so busy you don't have to think about life. Well, no, we're not talking about that either, but there's a balance. There's a balance in not being um, idle, sitting around and doing nothing, not, not producing anything. Another trap is sugar, okay? Sugar, uh, you step out on a lot of toes when you talk about sugar. But sugar really robs your brain of vital uh, nutrients and uh, ability to work properly. It's so important that our brains. Researchers point to studies that show that too much sugar not only makes us fat, it also wreaks havoc on our liver, mucks up our metabolism, impairs brain function, and may leave us susceptible to heart disease, diabetes, even cancer. And what do I mean by sugar? Because didn't we just tell you the first day, what do you eat? Fruit, right? And then so people say fruit, fruit's all sugar, right? Well, the difference is, is that fruit, yes, it has sugars in it, but it's not been robbed of its fiber, okay? But we're talking about refined sugar, which is robbed of its fiber, and you're just getting a concentrated form of the sugar. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's good to eat yeah. things... You know, they, we can tell you study after study, maybe Chad will, will touch on that a little bit this afternoon, about how fruit is not bad for you, okay? It's not going to make you gain weight. It's not, uh, I could tell you, we mostly eat a lot of fruit and we don't look like we're gaining weight, right? And so, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll leave it at that. But refined sugars, that's the problem. Refined sugars, the way that, that um, we don't find them in, in nature. And then also, keeping it around. What do I mean by that? Well, if you know you struggle with a certain thing, don't have it around so that you fall into that trap. So, let's say candy is your issue. Well, the, the battle is in the grocery store, okay? The battle is in the grocery store. You make that choice in the grocery store whether you're going to bring that home or not. And so if you need to avoid certain aisles, do so um, because it's important. But what you tell your brain if you have something like this around in your home is that just in case this new little thing I'm trying doesn't work, I have that as a backup. So, for example, smokers, uh, when we work with them, they'll tell you that cigarettes are their friend. And they're like, you're telling me to let go of my friend. And now some of us might think that's a little strange, right? Your friend. But think about it. To them, it's the thing that calms them down, deals with their stress. I mean, that sounds like God to us, right? You know, when you're stressed, when you're down, when you're 
crying, when you're, whatever it is, you turn to God as to a friend and you talk to him. Well, to them, that's what cigarettes do for them. And so you're asking them to let go of it. But when, when you're trying something new, you have to decidedly, like Daniel and his friends, purpose in their hearts, this is the new path I'm going to try. I'm not going to make a, a pathway to go back to the old way. So I'm going to get rid of whatever it is. I'm going to get it out of my life and I'm going to really do this. Because if you don't, you're telling yourself that's still an option. Just in case this doesn't work out, that's still an option. I'm going to turn to it. So Romans 13 verse 14 says this, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So as it say, don't make a provision for the flesh, right? Don't make a provision for the flesh. That means don't put yourself in the way of temptation. When you put yourself in the way of temptation, this, this flesh is weak. We, we really need to understand that we are weak, but he is strong. And he's given us the ability to make some choices. And if we say, this is the new path I want to take, I'm going to take that candy, I'm going to throw it away, whatever. When I'm in the grocery store, I'm not going to bring that home. When whatever it is you, you deal with, I don't know. I'm just using these things as an example. But you're, you're saying, I'm not going to have that. If you struggle with video games, you're going to say, I'm not going to bring that into the home. It's just not an option for me. Um, so on and so forth. So make not provision for the flesh. Other traps, though, may not just be, you know, like things, but it could be a stressful place or a situation. It could be work. It could be someone you're working with. It could be a family member, right? A particular person. It could be a repetitive memory that you have and you go over and over and over, right? Uh, something happened to you in the past and some memory will be triggered and then that is connected to another one, another one, and you just run it over and over in your brain. These are also traps that can cause us to fall into depression or discouraging thoughts or, or what have you. And so what do we do with these? Chad's going to come up a little later and, and explain what things we can do. But God has given us a beautiful ability to um, transform our minds, right? To, to put them on, on other things. But here are some things, like we said, we said it in the other one, but because we're doing one after the other, it seems very repetitive, but it's, it's a daily thing we normally do. And so you come back and remind people how important it is to get out and you drink your water, walking, deep, deep, accurate breathing, right, from the diaphragm, have our shoulders back. Did you show them how to do that? Basically, one of the things you can do, actually, everybody stand up just for a moment. Uh, one of the ways to have good posture, because, you know, many times we're doing this or whatever, is just take your arms and reach them as high as you can. I'm sure it'll come on down, but, and then put them back down. And what happens is it just kind of puts you into, when you, when you reach up as high as you can and then just bring it back down, it just puts you into good posture. So it's just a very simple way to... You know, Do you feel that? If you know, so like you may be starting like this, but if you just reach up and just bring it back down, you have good posture again. Um, so you can sit down. Another, and then to figure out how to have a deep breathing like a baby does, we're, we're born breathing accurately. We, as we get older, you know, sometimes we get a little bit of a gut and we don't want people to know. So we, we suck in our stomach and, you know, we, we, we do that, but then we don't breathe well. And just like we talked about earlier, that when you don't breathe well, you can actually feel depressed. We read about that in Mind, Character, and Personality. Uh, it's not the only reason, like we said, 
But the way you can find your diaphragm so that you can breathe accurately into the diaphragm is if you, if you, I guess it's hard, you're at a desk, but you could try it sometime where you put your arms between your legs, you bend over like this, and you just breathe in. And you'll feel it, it feels like it pushes into your stomach. It's not the stomach, but it's breathing, it's deep breathing the way you should. And by doing that, you actually, it will, we saw that certain things, temptation, caffeine, they increase blood pressure, they increase your, uh, the rate at which you're breathing, and they also increase, third thing. Your rapid breathing and shallow. Shallow breathing, it makes your, makes your breathing also more shallow, and, and then you're even more tempted. And so by breathing accurately, you feel more less stressed as a result. We talked about Bible promises and prayer. This is just a review from us. Um, and one of the things that happens is you end up, we're going to jump forward just for time's sake. Let me jump forward. Um, let's see. Okay, we're going to talk about stress. One of the things we want to learn is to overcome stress what is called chronic stress and uh, what it what does it mean now there are different kinds of stress there's good stress there's bad stress let's look at this the first kind of stress we're going to look at is called acute stress well what is that acute stress occurs when a threatening event appears and then is quickly resolved your body is well designed to handle acute stress in fact your body can even benefit from stress much in the same way that exercise works Acute stress can help you become stronger so you're better prepared physically for future emergencies. I'll give you an example. I love to exercise. Um, hardly ever miss out on exercise unless we're traveling. Uh, like yesterday, I didn't get real much exercise. We were driving across the country. But in general, I, I almost don't miss exercising. And I, I was going for a run in Chicago area, actually outside of Chicago in Illinois. And as I was running, I heard a dog barking. And I looked to my left, and there was a Rottweiler. And the Rottweiler, the good news is he was on a chain. The bad news is he did this little maneuver. I saw him do it, and he went like this, and I saw the chain drop off. And he wasn't behind a fence, so he's going to go after the moving target, and that was me. So I'm running, and I realize when a dog, do not keep running when a dog is coming, obviously. It's not a good idea. So I stopped, but it's a Rottweiler. So he comes up, and he's, you know, barking. And so I said, stop. You know, I'm trying to act like I'm not afraid, you know, but I am afraid. My heart's racing. I'm nervous. And, uh, you know, he stays back far enough, and I'm just trying to tell him to stop. Well, obviously, when you're, when you're in a stressful situation like that, it increases your heart rate. It increases the rate of your breathing, and your breathing becomes more shallow. So that's what happens. The same thing happens when you do caffeine. Same thing happens. But so you're in this stressful event. Well, then the owner came out, praise the Lord, and stopped the dog, and, and so I went on my way. Well then that's acute stress. It comes on quickly, but it also is resolved quickly. For the rest of the day, I'm not going, oh, there, there could be a dog, there could be a dog, there could be a dog, right? Uh, no, it's, it's done. It's done. That, that's acute stress. It comes on quickly. The second kind of stress is called chronic stress, which happens when that event remains constantly on your mind and does not go away. This can harm you because your body has no recovery phase during which to uh, rest and rebuild. The lack of downtime both depletes your, your body's reserves and postpones long-term rebuilding, which causes the premature deterioration of major organ systems. Serious illness and even death may result from chronic stress. Now, that's interesting. So we, we want to not live with something going over and over and over in our minds. They did another study with two groups, and they subjected them to two different experiments. The first group was to watch a 12-minute gruesome surgical procedure. 
Now, if you are a doctor and a surgeon, that's not going to be very stress stressful to watch a gruesome surgical procedure. But for the rest of us, that might be kind of stressful mm -hmm. to watch. The second group had to memorize information and take a 12-minute test. Do you ever feel stressed when, you, when you're tested on how much you retain of information? Many of us do, right? And so what they discovered was during the experiments, each person gave saliva samples that were analyzed for immune system components known as secretory proteins. These proteins help protect the lining of organs such as the lungs and stomach, guarding against the invasion of bacteria and viruses. While levels of secretory proteins increase during active stress, the immune response actually dropped during passive stress. They go on to say perhaps stress is not the big bad thing everybody is thinking it is. In fact, most acute stressors boost the immune system. Only when stress is unusually prolonged or repetitive, it becomes a potential threat to health. So what they're saying is, so when you have active stress, where you're actively trying to accomplish a goal, it's actually, it actually increases your immune system. It actually benefits your immune system. But when you're in a situation where you're just suffering and you have to just take it, like watching the surgery, there's nothing you can do to, do to be proactive and fix the problem, it's just stressful and can actually have a negative impact on your immune system. So I, I think about it like this. God calls you to go on witness to somebody. Is that stressful normally? Yeah, that's stressful, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you just sit back and don't do it, guess what happens? Well, it negatively could potentially impact your immune system. <laughs> <laughs> but if you go forward and do it, you're nervous and you stumble over your words and you try different things and, and you, know, you learn from it, that can actually benefit your health. Isn't that interesting? What a beautiful thought. That the thing, I believe that Deuteronomy 6.24, you may know that verse, uh, where it says, the Lord, And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, always. That he might preserve us alive as it is this day. So the Bible says that he commands us to do things for our good. That's what it says. And I believe that for good is not only in the spiritual realms, which is the most important, but even in our physical realm. Even in the physical realm, I should say. That God is calling us to do things for the benefit of even our physical life, but ultimately for the goal of our benefit to our spiritual life. And so there's a mind and a body connection. These things are linked, and science is showing us this now, that certain emotions release hormones into the body that in turn can trigger the development of a host of different diseases. Researchers have directly and scientifically linked emotions to hypertension, cardiovascular disease, and diseases related to the immune system. Studies have also highly correlated emotions with infections, allergies, and autoimmune diseases. Specifically, researchers have linked emotions such as depression to an increased risk of developing cancer and heart disease. Emotions such as anxiety and fear have shown a direct tie to heart palpitations, mitral valve prolapse, irritable bowel syndrome, and tension headaches as well as other diseases. Do you see that there is a connection between your emotions, your mind, and the health of your body? Or the unhealth of your body, right? And we can learn. I mean, the Bible, the Bible spoke of this for thousands of years, right? A merry heart does good. good like a medicine. And science shows this. But a broken spirit dries the bones. So we see this connection taking place. And chronic or prolonged stress can take place as a result of a past event that goes on over and over in your mind. Or maybe you hate your present life. 
or a lack of forgiveness, or you're in an unhealthy relationship. Those things could cause chronic or prolonged stress. And God wants to help us get victory over this, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But I heard a story, I read a story actually, about two Vietnam veterans who had been in a concentration camp. And after they were let out of the concentration camp, one of the prisoners said to the other prisoner, he said, have you forgiven your captors yet? The other one said, no, I'll never forgive them. And the other responded by saying, well, I guess they still have you captive, don't they? And that's the truth. Remember, God, when he commands us to forgive, it's for the other's good, but it's also for our own good. He wants to set us free. And this is so powerful. I love this. Uh, I, I heard from a man who was in World War II. He told a story. Uh, his name was Gene War, W-A-R-R. And he was a successful Christian businessman. And he also memorized a lot of scripture. But one of the things he said is that a study was done looking at, uh, at, at, I think it was either during or after the Korean, it was during their Korean conflict, I believe. And what they were looking at was trying to figure out what made certain people crash under these situations like imprisonment in a concentration camp. And what made certain people be able to actually make it without cracking in this place. And two of the things they discovered that helped people to overcome is number one, those who had a strong moral, had strong moral and religious convictions. Strong moral and religious convictions. And the second group that were able to overcome were those who memorized, had memorized Bible verses and would go over them. Isn't that powerful? I mean, you think about that. Like, if this helps people who are under a torturous experience to overcome, to not crash and crack under the, the trial, do you think it might help us in our trials today? Yes or no? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. This is not just for the time of trouble, although it is for the time of trouble to have these texts in our mind. But it is even for today that we could overcome today. Now, we have about just a few minutes yeah, left. Fine. How many of you like the taste of lemons? Anybody like the taste of lemons? I do too. I love that. And, and the smell of, you know, the citrusy smell of a lemon. So just imagine with me for a moment that you took a lemon in your hand and you cut it in half. You have it in your hand and you smell it and it smells so good. And then imagine if you took it and you squeezed it and it begins to drip down into your mouth and all over your taste buds. And as you do that, it tastes fantastic. Now, what if I told you to stop thinking about lemons? Do not think anything about lemons. And I gave you a minute, and I said, okay, don't think about lemons, and for a minute, don't think about it. You think you're able to do it? Probably most of us would think about what? Lemons. And notice, you weren't thinking about lemons two minutes ago. But now I tell you don't think about lemons, and you think about lemons. Isn't that funny how that works? They've actually done studies on that. They, they call it thought suppression. And how humans are very unsuccessful at suppressing their thoughts. Did you know that? And so God doesn't tell us to just suppress our thoughts. I think about this. So it's hard not to think about lemons. But what if I ask you the question, what's your favorite kind of apple? What's your favorite kind of apple? Honey. honey that's my favorite kind of apple. I love <laughs> honey Anybody else? I like Brandon Smith. Now what are we thinking about? 
apples. Why? Because you choose to change your mind to something else. But if you just tell yourself, let's say, let's say you're somewhere and, and, and you know, let's say you're overweight, you're struggling with eating, and you, you, uh, you know there, there's some chocolate cake there, you're already stuffed. You just finished your meal, but then there's some chocolate cake at Pala. You know, sometimes you go to Pala and there's like this massive table just filled with all kinds of desserts, right? And you've already, you're already full, but it's like, oh, just, just one piece. Or maybe you've already had a piece of dessert, and you know you shouldn't have another, and you're just like, no, I shouldn't have it. And so then you're like, man, I shouldn't eat that. I shouldn't eat that amazing chocolate cake. <laughs> I shouldn't eat it. No, nope, I shouldn't do it. Shouldn't do it. Now, what am I doing? Thinking about it. I'm thinking about the food, right? And remember, never forget that thoughts work out actions. Repeated actions form Habits and habits form character. character. So if I'm telling myself, don't think about the cigarette. Man, I shouldn't even think about that cigarette. Man, I shouldn't even think about all those good times I had. You you see what I'm saying? Now, what should we do in those situations? Instead of thinking about the lemon, turn yourself, turn your mind to something better. Right? We turn our mind to the promises of the Word of God. We say, Father, you told me. Now notice, imagine this prayer. Mark Finley tells a story of you. I think the guy might have been talking about smoking or something. And Mark Finley tells a story. The guy was saying, oh, Lord, I just feel like I'm going to just fall right back into smoking. I just feel like I'm going to go right back to the cigarettes. Just I, I get it again. This is what I do. And Mark Finley finally said to the man, stop it. Stop praying. You're going to be worse after this prayer than when you began. Now, you think, oh, you can't say that about prayer. But Mark Finley knew the truth. That is the truth. And listen, God wants to have us have prayers of faith, Right? Where we're saying, Father, you promised in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Father, I don't have the strength, but you do. I'm trusting that you will give the victory. Father, that you will make me a victorious Christian. Father, you bring it to pass. I'm trusting in you. Do you see the difference between those two prayers, yes or no? There's a big difference. And if we're trusting to self to overcome, we will fall every time. But if we trust to Jesus, he will give us the victory. Closing story. They did a study on monkeys and what they what they did was they put in a cage some monkeys and they had a pole in the center of the cage and they put what we imagine monkeys favorite food must be which would be what bananas Bananas. they put the bananas at the top of the cage and so what would the what would the monkeys do they would start to climb the pole to grab the bananas and eat them but scientists had a plan they would sit there with something like a, a powerful hose maybe like a fire hose and the moment the monkeys would try to climb the pole to go get the bananas, they would turn on the hose and shoot them off the pole. And, well, then another one would try, and they'd shoot him, and they'd do this over and over and over. And monkeys are animals, but they are not dumb. After a while, what do you think the monkeys learn? You don't, climb. don't climb the pole. Monkeys can learn. So they, they shot them off the pole, shot them off the pole, shot them off the pole, shot them off the pole. After a while, the monkeys wouldn't climb the pole for anything. They just wouldn't, they wouldn't climb the pole. The bananas would sit there, they wouldn't climb the pole. Well, what happened is, then they took out one of the monkeys that had been sprayed off the pole, and they put a brand new monkey in. So what do you think the brand new monkey would do? He's going to climb the pole. Well, as he runs to climb the pole, one of the other monkeys runs up and grabs him. And he pulls him back down. <laughs> and he's thinking, what? I'm going to get the bananas. You know? and, and so then, then he tries to climb again, and another monkey pulls on him and pulls him down. And they pull him down, and they pull him down, and they pull him down, and they pull him down until he will not climb the pole. They didn't even have to shoot him up. 
Then they pull out another monkey who had been shot off the pole, put a brand new monkey in. And same thing, he starts climbing, the others pull him down. They do this, they go around until they get to the point where there's only one monkey left who's been shot off the pole. And they keep replacing them with other monkeys, brand new monkeys. So then they have the last guy. They pull him out, stick out, all the others, there's still all these other new monkeys in there. They're not climbing the pole anymore. They put the brand new monkey in, they replace the last monkey who's been shot off the pole. And so what does he do? He starts to climb the pole. And as he does, another monkey grabs him and pulls him back down. And they pull him back down, and they pull him back down, and they pull him back down, and guess what? They have no idea why they're pulling him back down. Does that make sense? They have no idea. They just know you don't climb the pole. All the other guys taught us, you don't climb the pole, <laughs> right? <laughs> now, sometimes we can even do that. We can do that within Christianity. We can do that within our church. Sometimes you go into a church and people are pulling each other down. We can do that in families. We can have mothers and fathers who put their children down and do all these kind of things. But the Bible talks about spurring each other on to good works. God wants us to fulfill the identity that he has made for us. We could pull each other down, but my hope is that we will be Christians, Seventh-day Adventists, in these last days, who will actually lift each other up, encourage each other. When we are down, someone else can lift us up. When somebody else is down, we can lift them up. Rather than tear them down, say, oh, you're smoking again? Don't you know you shouldn't do that? But we can just say, brother, I want to pray for you. Because I know God wants to give you the victory. And I, I want to be here. And we want to be here. And if you need anything, if, if you need to call us at 2 in the morning, give me a call. I'll pray with you. Whatever it is. And we, we encourage each other and build one another up. All the more as we see the day of Jesus Christ approaching. Amen? This is something we want to do. So let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we realize that you designed this human body. And you designed it to be something that would reflect your character. And if this body is not functioning properly, it is hard for us to exhibit that character that you intended it to have. We are not saved by the physical. We are saved by a connection with you. But these things can make it easier for us to overcome in the last days. Father, we pray that you would give us victory. And as we go on to look at some of these different things, we pray that you would change us and transform us into the image of your Son. In the name of Jesus, amen. Just to let you know very quickly, uh, just a couple more things. Um, we're going to be looking again into lifestyle changes that can help you overcome, become the person you've been called to be, seven ways to strengthen your frontal lobe and will, how to truly forgive and move on in life. We're going to talk about the brain, the gut-brain connection, some of the most amazing scientists just, it's actually changed my life to be honest with you, discovering what happens. We talked about the science of the gut-brain connection. Modern science is backing up what the Spirit of Prophecy told us over a hundred years ago. And it looked like this weird 19th century ideas, but now it's just cutting-edge science. Absolutely amazing. We're going to be talking about these different things. Uh, thank you for coming, and we'll be back, I think, after lunch. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.